0: All right, well, last week we talked about change, and we talked about the fact that change happens. And so how many of you can verify that as you went through the week that you just experienced and you saw change happen in your life? Anybody? Yeah, quite a few of us. In fact, most of us. That's just the way life works. It does happen. And so last week we talked about that, and we talked about how we handle that change as it comes. Today I want us also to talk about change, but I want us to talk about it in a little different vein and in the fact that Sometimes we just need some change in our lives, don't we? For instance, last week I mentioned ladies' hairstyles, and there's some of you who have been during this week contemplating your hairstyle change. You've been thinking, I want to do something different with my hair. I wanted a different style. I wanted a different color. And so you've been thinking about that change. Some of us have been thinking about, you know, well, we'd like to get some new clothes. We'd like a wardrobe change. There's some of you that are sitting out there and this morning you're thinking about the fact that, you know, I'd like to change jobs. I'm really tired of this one. I'd like to move on to a new one. Uh, others are sitting there and you're thinking, you know, I, I need to get rid of that boyfriend and get a new one you know, we've got all sorts of things that are going through our minds. And uh, I was thinking about it as I was looking out the window of my office. Because one of the things we often talk about is, you know, I'd like a change of view. And so I want to show you a picture out of the window of my office here at church. And that's a pretty good view, isn't it? It's pretty nice to look out your office and, and see the flag and see all the great landscaping we've got done there. And uh, So, you know, I'm appreciative of that. We've we've moved offices around here in the building just recently, and this is indeed my new office. I've only been in it a few weeks, and this view beats the view out of my old office. Let me show you my view out of my old office. (laughs) And that was, uh, there were no windows. It was just that little window in the door, and so I could sit there and look at the plug on the other side of the hallway, (laughs) and it just, you know, relaxed me, calmed me down, prepared me for the task I had in front of me. So I've made a big switch from that to what I've got now, but I'm not really satisfied. To be honest, let me show you what I'd like the view out of my office to look like. (laughs) And that's why as we've talked about multi-siting, I have volunteered to be the campus pastor at any campus we put, you know, at Nags Head, Myrtle Beach, Hilton Head, any of those places that uh, the Lord leads us to go. Um, I've also got four secretaries and the entire facility staff who feel called by God to go and be a part of that campus as well. But as I was showing this to my wife and telling her what I was going to say, she said, well, that's not quite right. That's not exactly what you want. She said, let me show you what you really want. And she drew herself into the picture there. (laughs) So evidently the view I want is to be sitting in my office working hard and look out and see my wife lounging on the beach. Change of views help, don't they? But this morning, what I really want to talk to us about is not a change of view, but a change of you, Y-O-U. Because, you know, the Word of God teaches us that without change in our lives, without change of our attitude, without a change of our mind, without a change of our heart, without a change of our direction then we never experience the blessings that God has for us. We never experience salvation. We never experience the great and wondrous things that God has in store for our lives. And so I want us this morning to think about that. I want you to think about it, and I'm going to think about it. What is the change of you that God wants to do in our lives today? To kind of set that up, I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 18. And while you're getting there... I want to just kind of set a little backdrop to what's taken place to get Jesus and his disciples to the place where we begin to read here in, in Matthew 18, verse 1. And the chapter's just preceding it. Some amazing things have taken place. We've seen Peter's great confession. You know, when Jesus came and asked, you know, uh, who do people say I am? Then he asked, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter made that great confession. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God marvelous confession of faith. And then we see Jesus telling his disciples about what's to come and his upcoming death and what's going to take place and, and how he's going to have to suffer and why there's a purpose and a plan in all of this. And then we see the transfiguration take place and where three of his disciples are up there and see him uh, with Moses and Elijah. And we see all that going on. So all of these things have taken place just immediately preceding the verses we're going to read. So you would think at this time that the disciples are on a roll. They, they're getting this. They're understanding what Jesus is doing and why he's here. But then we get to this event and we see not quite. So let's pick up reading at Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. It says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called the little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change And become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I chose to read out of the NIV this morning simply because I like the fact that they use the word change in their translation. If you don't change, now some of your translations will say something different. Some of them will say, unless you're converted, others will say, unless you repent, some of them say, unless you turn. They're all talking about the same thing. It is a change of attitude, a change of direction, a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of spirit that needs to take place in our lives. And so that's what we see here. So we've got the disciples who come and they ask a question. It says, who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, when you first look at that statement, you could actually read it and not see too much wrong with it. For instance, I could ask you the question, who gets into the baseball hall of fame? And I'm not talking about who you think deserves it and doesn't deserve it. I'm asking you the qualifications. You know, what do you have to do? What do you think, you know, are the qualifications to get into the hall of fame? How does it go about? What takes place? That's not a bad question. And you could even look at this and say, well, maybe that's what they were asking. They were asking, you know, what are the characteristics and, and the kind of person who's going to be really recognized in the kingdom of heaven? Well, you could think that if you didn't have the rest of the gospel story, because if you go over into to Mark and look at it as Mark records it, Mark adds a little more in there than Matthew does, because Mark tells us that somewhere along the way Jesus decides to leave the disciples alone, and he goes off in one direction and has them traveling in another. So he leaves them alone, and to be honest, most of the time that's not a good idea when he leaves the disciples alone, kind of like us and our children. But he, he lets them alone and then when they get back together in, in Mark chapter nine, it tells us that Jesus asked the question, he says, What were y'all talking about as you were traveling? Now the problem is what they were talking about is it says they were arguing about which one of them would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So you see, they're there and all this has taken place and you know be honest, as I think about the story, think about the event, think about all that's taking place, if I'm one of the disciples, I've got to be thinking, you know, Peter's getting to step up on the rest of us. I mean, he's gotten to walk on water. He got to, you know, get that fish that had the coin in it and, and pay his taxes with, you know, he, he's really moving up and, and I need to stake my claim now. That's kind of what, what seems to be taking place. And so the disciples are arguing about why they should be first, why they should be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. We've had the opportunity this summer to keep our grandchildren more than we have in the past because they've moved a lot closer. And so we've had them several weeks during the summer already. And uh, we have two grandchildren. One is our grandson who is seven. The other, our granddaughter who is five. The other week we were taking them back. And on the way back, our granddaughter, well, our granddaughter is very skilled at plucking her brother's last nerve. Uh, She's practiced it. She's honed the skill. She's got it down pat. She knows how to work it. And so we're driving back, and she is singing this silly little song over and over and over and over again. And it's driving her brother nuts, which is her whole purpose and why she's doing it. And he keeps telling her, he said, Naomi, that's irritating. And he was right. It was getting... Very irritating for all of us in the car. But she looked at him and she said, But I love this song and I want to sing it all the time. To which point he says, All right, you can sing it all the time when you get to heaven. (laughs) Wait a minute. Wait for it. If you get there. (laughs) Now, theology aside... That's just how he felt. He wasn't sure if she kept doing that, she was going to make it to heaven. That's what we see in this passage right here. Think about it. The disciples come to Jesus and they say, which one of us is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And what's Jesus' answer to them? He says, listen, if you don't change, you're not even going to get into heaven. Now imagine how taken back they had to be at that. I mean, at one point I'm thinking, I'm going to be the greatest. I can stake my claim. I've got my case here. Here's my resume. And a moment later, Jesus says, if you had an attitude like that, good chance you're not even going to make the kingdom of heaven. You see, what we see in the disciples, what the foundation of all of this is, is selfishness. They're worried about their position, their place, their recognition. Listen to me. The problem here is the disciples were being so childish that they forgot to be childlike. Hear that? They were so caught up in being childish that they were missing out on being childlike. Now, I want to tell you something this morning. If you are a child, it's really okay to be childish because really childish just means acting like a child. And so if you're a child, childish and childlike are really almost the same thing. I mean, we can change it and we put connotations and all of that with it. But actually, they're basically the same thing. If you're an adult, not so much the same thing. There is a big difference as an adult in being childlike and being childish. Childish. And many of us, like the disciples, get caught up far too often in being childish when God has called us to be childlike. A synonym for childish is infantile, babyish. The antonym for childish is mature, adult. So we are not to be childish, but we are to be childlike in our faith and in our dependence upon God. So here are the disciples, and they're acting childish. And as I've said, many times we fall into that same trap, into that same boat. We act childish. What are some of the characteristics when we act childish? Well, we've mentioned the major one is selfishness. And, you know, selfishness is really the root of most of our sin, isn't it? If you even think back to the Garden of Eden, think back to Adam and Eve. You know, it was selfishness that got them into such trouble because God had told them not to eat of the fruit of that tree. The devil came along and said, he just doesn't want you to do it because you'll be as great as him. And they said, why can't we be like that? Why can't we be like God? It's only right that we eat of the tree. That was selfishness. And selfishness causes us to be childish. What are some other characteristics of childishness? One of them is the whole idea of being immature. There's a TV commercial. I think it's a subway commercial where they're sitting around and They're adults, but when they talk, it comes out in kids' voices. Y'all have heard some of those. My favorite one is the one they had recently with the avocado, which is a superfood, the one little girl tells the others, or the one lady tells the others in the little girl voice. And the others go, oh, superfood. Can I get superpowers? Can I fly? And they're going through all the superpowers they want, and they want some of the avocado because it's a superfood, and it will give them superpowers. And the one little girl who has the sandwich with the avocado, she says, no, it's super delicious and it's super mine. And one of the other kids goes, super uncalled for. But that's our childish nature, is to be immature, to be selfish. It's not to act in the way we ought to act. Have you ever found yourself in a situation and you did something or said something and afterwards it really came to your mind and to your spirit that that wasn't very mature of me? That wasn't very adult of me. You ever gotten into an argument with your children and realized you were acting more like a child than they were? Yeah, we've all been there. That's some of the characteristics of childishness. And we're not called to be childish. Irresponsibility is a characteristic of childishness. And in our churches and in our Christian walks, We often fall guilty of being irresponsible. Not living up to our commitments. Not following through with what we said we were going to do. Instability can be a characteristic of childishness. You ever seen a child... Going along, everything's fine, everything's great, and all of a sudden, temper tantrum hits. Ever seen an adult? Ever been that adult? See, Jesus calls us not to be childish, but to be childlike. So we look at these are the things we don't want to do. These are the characteristics of childishness. What are some of the characteristics of being childlike? I think one is teachability. Kids are willing to learn. We get to be adults. Sometimes we're not so good at that. We think we know it all. We've got our pattern, as we talked about last week. We've already made our pattern in life, and this is how we do things, and we're not willing to be taught. We're not willing to learn in that. you know what? As we go through life, and as we go through the changes that come into our lives, each and every one of them is a teachable moment. It's a moment in which God can do His work in our lives and mold us and make us into who He desires us to be. So if we're going to be childlike, we've got to be teachable. We've got to be moldable. We've got to let God work and move. Then not only that, but that's the idea of expectancy. Children have an excitement and an expectancy about things. And then again, as adults, we kind of lose some of that. I mean, when we're kids, the smallest thing can get us excited. When we're adults, the biggest thing can turn us into Eeyore. I mean, I remember as a child, you know, we, daddy come in and say, your cousins are coming over. And I would get so excited. Now, my cousins lived four miles down the road. They came over almost every day. But every day was exciting when they came. Every day was expectant. Nowadays, somebody can come in my office and lay down a big cash gift to me. And my first thought is, wonder how much the IRS is going to take out of that. I lose a sense of excitement and expectancy. Lose a sense of wonder of what God's going to do. Do you ever find that happening in your life? You just kind of get caught up in the mundane, and you lose the sense of wonder, the sense of excitement. But another characteristic of childlikeness is a dependence. You know, Jesus brought this child and put him in their midst, used him as an object lesson, if you will. But as that child stood there, here are these disciples who've just said, Man, what do I deserve? You see, again, foundational in what they're talking about here is the thought process that they deserved something. I mean, after all, these are the ones who had dropped their nets left their fishing boats, left their tax collecting service, left all of this stuff behind and followed Jesus. Surely they were deserving of something special. Surely they would be the ones who would be in that upper echelon in heaven. Surely they were the ones who would be among the ones at least counted and considered to be the greatest in heaven. See, they had the idea that they deserved something. And he brings out the child, and the child has no rights under the law. He has nothing except what his father would give to him. And by law, he deserves nothing else. And he just has to be dependent. And folks, that's where we are. Because the disciples didn't deserve anything, we don't deserve anything except death, hell, and eternal separation from God. That's what we deserve. That's what we have earned by our sin. And what we receive in good gifts and perfect gifts comes down from above, from the Father of lights. Folks, don't ever pray, Lord, just give me what I deserve. You don't want that prayer answered we need to understand that we deserve nothing and every good thing and every gift we have and every inheritance that's ours, is dependent simply upon God's grace and God's goodness and God's love for us and so he shares that we're to be like a child and the final characteristic, the final aspect of that, I think, is trust. You've got to trust. I think that's what Jesus is really trying to get his disciples and to get us to understand in this passage. He's not, he's not saying you know, a child's perfect, but he's saying a child understands about dependence. About trust. And God wants us to trust Him in everything, with everything. Last week I talked about some folks in our church family who were growing through. Death in the families and struggles. And showing trust and faith along the way. this week we've got some more families that are going through that. And that are struggling and hurting. And trusting God. And that's what it's all about. Our natural tendency is to be childish. Our natural tendency is to be about self. That's our nature, apart from God. But when we trust in God, He gives us the ability to be childlike. And wherever you are this morning in your spiritual journey, and we've got all sorts of folks in here, we've got people in here today who, to be honest, you have not begun a spiritual journey, really. You're seeking, you're, you're curious, but you really haven't begun the journey. You haven't begun the walk. You're looking to find out how. How? Then there are folks in here who've been walking as child of God for years and years and years. And then all the folks in between. But wherever you are on that spectrum. I believe that God brought you here this morning to talk to you. To speak to your heart about a change of you. Maybe there's something you're selfishly clinging to this morning maybe there's some childish attitudes and behavior in your life maybe there's just a tendency as you go through trials and troubles and change to try to handle it yourself instead of giving it over to god Or you're here today, and for the first time in your life, you need to trust what God did for you when he sent his son to die on the cross and pay the price for your sins. You need to stop being like the disciples here and saying, I deserve this. No, you don't deserve it. But he wants to give it to you as a gift. He wants to give to you a peace and a purpose and a hope and a strength that comes only from him. What kind of change of you is God placing in your heart this morning? Aspire heads close our eyes let's not look around let's not think about what else is going on let's not think about at this moment what else you got to do today let's just think about what you need to do right now what is it that god is saying to you and to your heart are there some things in your life you need to give up some childish things that you need to lay aside Do you need to let go of trying to do too much yourself and just totally depend on Him? Do you need to let go of trying to live your life without Him and trust in Him and what He did on the cross for you? See, if you came in here this morning without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, without knowing for sure, that he was your Savior and your Lord. I believe he brought you here today for that change in your life. For you to accept the gift he's got for you. To understand that you have sinned and come short and you've messed up, you've made mistakes. And you need his forgiveness. You need the power of his blood where he died and paid the price for your sins. And you need to accept that today. Maybe today the change he's revealing in your life is you need to change and come here and join and be a part of this family, of this fellowship, of this church. Whatever it is he's saying to you today, it's up to you to be obedient. Up to you to respond as he's leading you to do. Don't walk out on him. Don't turn your back on him. Instead, turn to him. Change your heart, your mind, your attitude, and your direction and turn to Jesus. Heavenly Father, whatever it is we need to do this morning, would you show us right now? Lord, in the depths of our hearts, Show us Lord why we need this change. Why we need to respond. Lord, make it clear the change of you that you want in us this morning. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.